this isn't just something where at the 10-year mark, you're fine. I think that is something in society that we so easily do, where we say, oh, it's been a year, it's been five years. And I am guilty of this, especially before my mom died. Like, when people would say, like, yeah, when my mom died 20 years ago, and I'm like, 20 years? Come on. And then now I understand time doesn't matter when it comes to grief. Welcome to the BBXX podcast, Let's Get Intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and we're here to challenge the way our culture has conditioned us to talk and think about sexuality, intimacy, and healthy relationships. To question everything, to embark on a journey of self-understanding, and to begin to rewire some of the backwards thinking that we've absorbed from the subconscious influences that have shaped us all. Our hope for you, and for myself, and for all of us here at BBXX, who are on this journey with you every day, is that through a better understanding of our own identity, of who we are, and why we are that way, we can form deeper connections with other people and live healthier, more fulfilling relationships as a result. Join us as we change the conversation and the culture surrounding intimacy and relationships. And remember that better relationships equals a better life. Morgan Brown is a writer, storyteller, photographer, and artist asking people to step into vulnerable spaces around connection, death, and the human experience. After losing her mother unexpectedly, she started exploring the question of what does it mean to live? What does it mean to die? And why is it so hard to find people talking about this stuff? I don't remember how I came across Morgan's profile, whether it was her website and her project conversations I wish I had, or if it was her Instagram account. You can find her at morganmichellebrown.com and on Instagram at morganmichellebrown. I don't use Instagram much, but it is one of my favorite accounts, and I spent probably two hours reading through it and crying to prepare for this interview. But what I do remember is that I loved what she was doing and I knew I needed to talk to her. One, because I think the work she's doing is extremely important. And two, because I related so incredibly deeply to it on a very personal level. This interview is very different than the interviews we've done in the past. It's a bit longer, it's a bit looser, and it's a lot more personal, which is something that I don't normally bring into it as much, but it's probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done, if not the most important one. And my hope for this interview, for everyone else who might listen to this, would be the same for me. At the very least, if you are lucky enough to not have experienced loss in your life, that you might learn a bit more and be able to better understand somebody else in your life who has gone through that and be able to better support them or at least be better prepared for when this does happen to you at some point or another. And for those who have lost somebody close to them, my hope for you would be that this helps remind you that you're not alone and that we're all extremely lost, extremely sad, and learning how to be happy, how to create things, and how to make the world a bit better as a result of the emptiness we find ourselves in as a result of very unfortunate circumstances. So I know that already before even releasing this podcast, Andrea, who edits our podcast, I had warned her in advance that this was a bit of a heavier and a bit of a different interview and that I didn't want to 
cut it quite as much. I wanted to keep it longer and a bit more raw. And she slacked me. She said, this Morgan episode has been the hardest, most beautiful thing to listen to. I'm two hours in and I've been crying for maybe 80% of it. I was much younger, but the way you both describe the moment has been really cathartic, even for me 20 years later. And so I know that even before releasing this, it's made a difference for at least one person, which was extremely important and impactful for me to hear. And my hope is that for you and for anybody you choose to share this with, that perhaps it can help you in some way, whether it's in relation to the past, the present, or in the future. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I would love to hear your feedback and would love to know if more personal topics, more intimate conversations, or more relaxed, casual interviews is something that you would like to hear. So thank you for listening. I normally ask people how they ended up where they are today, but before that, even just to contextualize, I'd love to just ask you how you would describe our culture and society's relationship with death, with loss and grief. Yeah, I think it'll naturally go into how I, to my own story, because I hadn't really thought about how we as a society think about death and dying and grief and how to support someone going through challenges until I had my own experience where I was thinking about death and dying and I was needing support and I felt like people didn't know how to give it. And I think it's a really interesting time right now because I'm seeing more and more people talking about this subject that they're saying, hey, maybe death is something that we should talk about. And You know, one of the things I say with what I do is death is not a dirty word. And I really like that because often in society, when death is talked about, it's kind of in hushed tones. It's in this like you want to get in and you want to get out. You don't really want to unwrap it and go deeper with it. And so right now it's an interesting time because more and more people are interested in talking about it. But I would say in general, there's still this really big silence around talking about death. And also, I would say there's still a huge lack of emotional literacy and how to support people who are processing some of these big life changes that happen, whether they have lost a friend or they're just thinking about their own mortality. I think it's still so common to see those things be met with these trite phrases of like, oh, it'll be okay, or they're in a better place, or just don't, you know, if you're thinking about your own mortality, like, oh, just don't think about it. It's fine. You know, I think that's still a very common thing. And that doesn't have to do with just death. I was on social media the other day and saw someone sharing about their mental health journey. And it had nothing to do with the death of someone in their family or their friends, but they were just sharing their own struggle. And someone even commented, like, you're too pretty to be sad. Cheer up. I'm just like, oh my God, that is like not the way to hold space for someone who's really trying to process some of these bigger emotions. And with that, I don't know the perfect way either. I'm just... I'm taking my own experience and I'm saying this is what I wish I would have had. And then I'm also learning from people who they're the experts on this. So, yeah, that's kind of the state of where I see things right now. How is it that you came to be exploring this this space and what do you think? Obviously, it's a continuing journey, but what have been some of the most important lessons you've learned thus far? Yeah. So in 2012, I was at work and I got 
some missed phone calls from my dad and but I was at work so I couldn't really answer he was texting me being like are you can you talk and you know meanwhile I vividly remember I was having a conversation with my boss as he's texting me and I was late for a meeting for my second job so I'm talking to my boss I'm trying to get out the door to get to this meeting and I get in my car and I start driving and I call him and I'm frustrated at this point because, you know, I was in my young twenties and I feel like I had very engaged parents where if my insurance card came to the house, I'd get like 20 calls and I'd be like, what? Like, And either my mom and dad would be like, oh, I'm just calling and let you know that your insurance card is here. And I'm like, okay. You know, and I'm grateful for active parents in my life. And in that moment, I was so frustrated. And so I pick up the phone and I'm like, dude, what? And my dad was he was very hesitant. He was kind of like, where are you? What are you doing? Okay, well, is there a place to pull over? And in my mind, I'm still like, why is he wanting me to pull over to tell me that my insurance is in the mail or something like that? And I'm like, dad, I'm late. Like, what is it? And he gets angry and yells, Morgan pull over. And I knew something was wrong at that moment because my dad isn't a yeller. And so I pull over and I'm kind of like, what is it? Tell me. And he just starts crying. And I had heard my dad cry one other time. And that was when like the family dog died. So I'm starting to freak out and I'm in my car and I don't know what's wrong at this point, but if my dad is crying, I know something's bad in my head. I think someone's hurt. And so I'm just pleading with him. I'm saying like, dad, tell me, please just tell me. Um, it even makes me, you know, emotional to retell it. Cause it's so real, but, um, yeah, he kind of he kind of gathers himself and he he spits out because he's sobbing at this point and he just says, Your mom, she died in a car accident going to work. And um <laughs> I don't think words will ever express what it's like to hear those words. Um especially as someone who hadn't really thought about death or dying at all before that moment. And as someone who, I was 22, I was a year out of college, maybe even less, a couple months out of college, and this wasn't something on my mind. Like, I had lost my dad's uncle, but he was sick. Like I, there was, I had never lost anyone close to me. And it was shocking to me that someone who I was so close to and someone who I loved so deeply could die. Um, whew. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think it's interesting cause I'm, there aren't many things about my story that bring tears to the surface this easily anymore. But I think this one will, the layer between tears and not tears with this story will always be really thin. <laughs> so yeah, I, that happened and the world changed. I remember being in the car and just, I was screaming uh, I was hitting the steering wheel and I was, I was kicking the dash and the only words I could say were no, that's, those are, that's the only thing I could say. 
I, I hung up with my dad. I was just like, I'm coming home. And then, you know, I just had my moment in the car. And eventually the nose got quieter. And I was just, I remember it being really hot because <laughs> when it wasn't a hot day, but when you're like having such an intense emotional reaction, your body gets hot. And so like the door to my car was open and it was next to a sidewalk. And I just remember looking at, there were people walking down the sidewalk laughing. And I remember just thinking like, how could they? Do they even know? And then I remember, you know, it was a pretty busy street. And I remember watching the cars go by and I was just like, they have no clue. My world just totally changed and everyone is just going along like nothing happened. And so, yeah, that was, that's, that's my story. And at 22, I entered into this world where I didn't know how to talk about death and dying, but neither did anyone else. And there's kind of this, I call it like this primal anger where when someone says something to you that doesn't land in the way that feels okay, you're just angry. There's no amount of rationalizing of like, oh, well, they meant well. They, you know, obviously they love me. It's just like you're in or you're out. You're a safe person to talk to or you're not a safe person to talk to. You just lose all sense of being nice, right? Like you're just like in survival mode. And that's how all of my work got started because I was, ang you know, I was angry. I realized that the world I entered after my mom died was a world that had no idea what to do with me. And my work didn't start immediately. There was a good year and a half of just trying to show up to work every day, just trying to not drink myself into a stupor every night maybe go get fresh air or walk along the ocean. I lived by the beach at the time, but it was only later, about a year and a half later, when I was on a plane from Europe to China. And I remember waking up mid-flight and just seeing this massive mountain that was illuminated by this low-hanging moon. And it's one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. And there were lights from towns just kind of dotting the landscape. And everyone on the plane was asleep or watching movies, not even realizing what was out the window. And I'm having this moment where I'm looking down at the earth and I'm realizing everyone in all of time and space has gone through hardship. Everyone has lost someone it is a 100% chance that we will die. This is no longer about me. This is, this is universal. And I would say that was kind of the big turning point for me where I realized, oh, it's not just about me. Like, yes, I'm sad. And yes, I'm grieving. And people all over the world are too. Um, yeah. I'm going to take a breath there. <laughs> I have a, a, a similar but obviously very different story at the same time. I, which is sorry, I don't really share share very often, let alone on this podcast. But yeah, I, I was visiting my grandpa, who at the time was a hundred, a hundred and one, and and just passed this year, and this was just a couple years ago, and a friend had just come into town that day to visit and we were out to coffee, me, my friend and my hundred year old grandpa who's sitting across the table from me. And my brother had told me he was going to FaceTime me when I was with my grandpa to say hi. And I had talked to my sister that morning who was skiing with my mom. And I talked to my mom that morning who was really excited about my friend who was coming into town to visit and that I was spending time with my grandpa and she had almost come on the trip herself. 
And I got a call from my brother, presumably to chat and say hi to, to my, my grandpa. And I picked up the phone and started talking to him. And it was just all I could hear was him crying. And I, I immediately, I hung up the phone and I remember wanting to live in the moment, that moment before knowing anything and thinking, I just want to stay in this moment. I just want to stay in this moment. I don't want to know what he's going to tell me because I, I just knew. And there was like flashes in my head of like, who is it? What is it? What happened? Who is it? What happened? And he called me back and I like stood up. I'm in this like old, just like shitty diner in, in Chicago getting like really mediocre coffee and just chatting. And and that whole day actually had been talking with my friend about my mom and how she was just living up life to the fullest. And, and I stand up and he tells me, you know, mom, mom's gone. And I just like, am in the middle of this diner, like screaming. And I just remember screaming, like, how am I supposed to go on living my life and just like being like squatted on the floor in the middle of this diner surrounded by, you know, people you don't know. And you're just pulled out of whatever moment you're in with whoever you're in and your whole life and everything as you knew it and how you ever imagined it going into the future. Just in one split second, it it just drops out from underneath you. And I just don't know that people really have any concept because there is no way to describe that. There's no language. There are no emotions you can communicate to somebody to possibly describe that kind of terror and fear when somebody tells you like your life will never, ever be what you thought it was. And you know, let alone the logistical part of what needs to happen and how you get to where you need to go and explain <laughs> and like go back to the table to try and, and your, you know, 100, 101 year old grandpa is like, what's going on? What's going on? But obviously, you know, you don't even have the language. You can't even speak. He can't understand. And then just your whole life becomes a blur basically from then on. And I mean, I could go on forever, but want to dive deeper in, into so many other things, but it's just, it's just fascinating to me that something that is so huge, we aren't given any skills. And even when you've been through this yourself and continue to go through it, because it's not something you get through or over, even when this happens to somebody else, even as somebody who has been in this place, you don't even have the language necessarily to know what to say, but at least kind of the knowledge to be present. But it's truly something that in an irrevocable um, and irreplaceable way just will forever shape your life and who you are and who you become. And I just think of kind of you on that plane and looking out the window and when you've been through something like this. And there are people who were fortunate enough to have not yet or, but everybody inevitably will. I couldn't help but think that sometimes it feels like you're the only one looking out the window and have this view on life. And you're like, but this is all, you know, life is. We need to appreciate these moments or talk about this and live our relationships out because they won't last forever. But sometimes it feels like everybody's watching the movie and, and sleeping next to you. And you're the only one who's looking out the window and seeing what's there. <laughs> yeah. And so to try and, you know, help other people wake up to the terrible, tragic, but extremely important connections that we live and tragically lose. Yeah. I think that's so well said, especially about like the you're on the couch with the person who's asleep while you're watching the movie and you're saying like, hey, like this is a good part. <laughs> Don't miss right. it. Right. And I think part of why I, I love so much what you're doing is because I see in your process the process that I haven't lived. And so I went into this 
extremely deep place of denial and just immediately my my brain literally couldn't adjust to the new reality. I didn't want a part of it. I didn't want anything to do with it. And so I just basically trained my brain to deflect these thoughts and kind of reject that reality. And, you know, nobody was ready to process this. And so there were certain things in the beginning that you have to do. And I don't even know, you know, want to get into just, I I honestly don't think people realize how fucked up, (laughs) you know, the, the whole process is where then you have to be like, okay, you have certain amount of days to, you know, just cremate somebody and then do this and then do this. And somebody's like, all right, print pictures. What pictures are you going to print to burn with your mom's body? <laughs> like days later, yeah. you know? And then just like sitting there yeah. screaming and having to like try and talk to the fucking people at CVS who are like, the machine's broken. You can't print photos. And you're like, no, I'm fucking printing these photos. Like, how are we going to make this happen? Or I will <laughs> like just wreck you (laughs) and then just from there it's like you know we'd be like all right we're gonna do something or have an event and nobody wanted to and nobody was ready to do anything so in the beginning we did something small and then nobody was ever ready and I literally still don't feel ready and so following having to do those photos and because photography was something that I worked in for a long time. And I'm curious what your relationship was, but I refused to look at photos. I refused to listen to anything to read, to like acknowledge for until somewhat recently, like for two years, literally couldn't look at a photo. And it was just this full deflection mechanism. And so when I look at your work and what you've done and how you've talked about this in the process you've been through, I find it so inspiring. And I, I see kind of small parts of my process, but also like the process that I know I need to live. (laughs) Uh, and that is like, yeah, such an important part of honoring that person and staying connected to them and, you know, reshaping your reality that doesn't shut this out, but kind of incorporates it in. And there are definitely ways in which, I mean, this has shaped everything from from the company that I'm building to the way I live my life every single day. But it's not something I talk about. And I find it actually for so long, it was, you feel like other people don't deserve to hear these stories. And I found myself outside of, you know, my siblings and and basically one other person who helped me through this and uh, <laughs> to whom yeah. I don't know where I would be today. <laughs> uh, yeah, that like, otherwise people just can't understand or you're not ready to talk about it or feel they don't deserve to. And so just the other day, when I, <laughs> I started going to therapy three weeks ago, and uh, I, here in, in Chile, was talking to one of my one of my best friends and, and brought this up. And she said, you know, I moved to Chile within like six months after my mom's accident. And she said, you know, I've never heard you talk about your mom. And I'm like, I didn't want to push it, but I've literally never heard you talk about her. Uh, so anyways, my point of this whole rant was just that I think what you're doing is incredibly important, incredibly inspiring. And I, I don't know if it's, you know, that I just see it as as such because I relate to it on such a deep level. But I could just can only hope that, you know, through helping you expose the work you do, that even people who have been fortunate enough not to live this, but perhaps who maybe realize that one day they will, or even if they don't, can find a deep amount of inspiration and understanding of it, whether it's for their own betterment now in the future or for that of somebody who they can help support through this incredibly dark, isolating, but eye-opening experience. Yeah, as you were talking, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, yes to all of it. But what I think people don't 
always realize and what I usually tell people, and you're touching on it, is is that something like this affects everything. It affects everything. So I once wrote a blog about just like how it's so gets so deeply in your brain where you're like, okay, I need to go to a coffee shop to get work done. Do I go to the coffee shop that I want to go to because it has better Wi-Fi? Or do I go to the coffee shop that my mom and I used to go to every time she came to visit? Or when you're talking about how your friend had said, I'd never heard you talk about your mom. I think it's always so interesting when people say something around like, well, I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to remind you of it. And it's like, oh, no, like, I don't need reminding. It's always there, like whether you're saying it or not. Right. And I've just always found that to be so fascinating because a lot of people say it like, oh, I didn't want to bring it up because, you know, you seem to be doing pretty well. And I'm like, oh, no, like if I'm doing well, it doesn't mean I'm not thinking about it. It is always present. And I would say it's less present now. I mean, it's been, for me, it's been seven years, which is so crazy for me to say. But, you know, even now, there's not a day that goes by where I don't think about her. And I think even what you're saying about how people don't understand even the immediate aftermath of when someone dies, like it's a shit show. And yeah, one of the worst fights I ever got, my sisters and I, we're best friends. I have an older sister and a twin sister. And one of the worst fights I ever got in with my older sister was probably like two days after my mom died. And we were trying to get pictures for the service. I felt like she wasn't helping me. And she was like, I need some space because I'm going to lose my mind. And like, it, you know, it was around photos too. Or, you know, I remember going into, my mom was on my bank account. And so I had to get her off of it. And you have to do that by getting a death certificate. And so I had to take the death certificate into the bank. And even just like the teller, before I even said what I was about to do, before I even presented the death certificate, she said that she could tell that I had a deep sadness about me. And I'm like, who says that to people? <laughs> like, in what context was that appropriate to just confirm how sad I was in a bank setting where, like, it's not totally appropriate to cry? <laughs> but then at the same time, it's like if she ignores it, and just treats you as any other yeah. client while you're like sitting there bawling and you're like, are you not? You're like, hello. Not human. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think in that moment, what I wanted was not for her to not acknowledge it and but not to confirm this thing. Right. That- you just didn't even want to be there in that moment. Like, you really want to be in the fucking bank with this certificate. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted her to say like, I'm sorry, or something like that. I didn't want her to confirm that the rest of the world could see that I'm moving around with a deep sadness, which like I was, but I thought I was holding it together. And I was like, thought I was doing pretty okay. And then she's like, nope, like I could tell. I'm like, God damn it. Like I just honestly just take the fucking death certificate and can I get out of here? Right. You know, or I remember making a scene at a Verizon store because I had gotten a new phone probably two weeks before before my mom's accident. And I had lost all of her text messages and her her voicemails. And so in my grieving mind and also my 22 year old mind where I'm like, technology can do anything. I like go into the Verizon store and I'm begging them and I'm crying and I'm making a scene of just like, please, like, please, you know, like she died two weeks ago. Her, her voicemails, like they're not just saved on some system. And they're like, uh, l- like, let me get the manager, you know? 
because they don't know what to do with me. And I, it's such a dissociating moment because I can see myself pulled away and watching myself kind of be psycho in this Verizon store, like sobbing and begging the manager to do something as I can see everyone around me, like giving me side glances of like, should we be concerned for our safety? Should we leave? Like Mm -hmm. making a scene. But what I'm learning more and more is like these experiences are not just me, right? Like you in the CVS, like trying to get photos printed and they're saying, sorry, it's broken. And you're like, oh, no, 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 (laughs) like it's not broken. You need to fix this. It's so common for our, I think our emotions just become, they become like the world isn't real. Yeah, no, the world is not real. No, literally, you don't live in reality. And that's exact. It's complete dissociation. Because again, it's like, I did not want to take on this new reality. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want that title of the person who has lost their mom. I didn't want that person. I didn't want this new fucked up version of my life. And I didn't I managed to somehow disassociate it to the point where, you know, I have so much short-term memory loss from the months after this. I couldn't remember conversations I had that day. You know, I couldn't for months, months, if not easily over a year, just would have trouble remembering certain basic things that were never difficult for me before. And there are certain tiny aspects in certain categories where I just, my brain in that category does not work as it did before. And so just, yeah, kind of living in that space and outside of time as well, because I found myself as time progressed, but my process didn't, my brain didn't, my experience didn't, I didn't got to the point where, well, I didn't want to admit, how is it that a month has passed? How is it that two months have passed six months, you know, I can't even tell somebody that today is the year anniversary because in my head, no time has passed. And to say she has been gone a year or two does not reflect my process in any way and implies some distant relationship to this experience and to the loss of her that I don't relate to nor want to. Yeah. I mean, time, the relationship with time in this setting becomes so, so muddled. I, I, I have a similar story with time. It was, it's a little different, but I noticed if someone, like I was holding on to time. I didn't want to acknowledge it. I was so confused how two weeks had passed, three weeks, a month. But I also found that if people got the time wrong, I would obsessively correct them. Like if it had been one month and 28 days and they were like, oh yeah, it's like two months. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, it has not been two months. It has been one month and 28 days because you're just grasping. You're just like, it's like a tightrope and you know, like the event happens and time moves forward, but you're reaching for that point on the tightrope where everything changed. I found myself not where I wouldn't acknowledge time, but that I was obsessive about it where, you know, I would count the days one day, two day, one week, three days. I knew probably for, I would say two years, I could tell you exactly the day. And that that faded. Now I would say I'm more in like a a space of disbelief where even when I say seven years, it's shocking to me. Yeah. Because I think people put a timeline on grief and they put a timeline on healing and they say, okay, it's been seven years. Like, come on. And it's like, no, I get it. It's been seven years and this will be with me my entire life. And yeah, I'm a functioning human. You know, I don't spend every day crying like I used to. 
my mom isn't the first thing I think about anymore. I'm okay with saying that, you know, saying her name doesn't send me into a dissociative spiral. Like I am okay. And this isn't just something where at the 10 year mark, you're fine or the whatever mark. Like, I think that is something in society that we so easily do where we say, oh, it's been a year. It's been five years. And I am guilty of this, especially before my mom died. Like when people would say like, yeah, when my mom died 20 years ago and I'm like 20 years, come on. And then now I understand time doesn't matter when it comes to grief and longing. Mm -hmm. And I think that concept of putting a timeline on healing is just completely unrealistic, unfair, and far too generalized. And so I think that when we talk about death, it's referred to as being an event, Mm -hmm. when in reality, your brain can't, especially when it is out of nowhere, can't make that adjustment. And so you find yourself, when you do get to the point where, you know, it's not there every single millisecond of every day, knocking, knocking. And I, at least for me, I was trying to deflect, 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 and it's always there. And you never forget for one second, or if you do forget for one second, let let alone 10 seconds, the crushing, crushing reality, when you go back to recognizing, you know, what new reality you are in when you forgot for even two seconds is almost more horrifying than just living in it constantly. And so this whole concept of death and I, you know, have this, I want, I was about to call it a weird thing, but it's not, it's just me. And that's just the way it is where I have never even used that word to refer to my mom. I say, I lost my mom in a fatal accident. Or I say, my mom was in a fatal accident. Or, you know, my mom was skiing with my sister and I lost her, something like that. I don't even use that word because that implies this moment that I can't come to terms with versus death being a process, whether it's actually, you know, even referring to the person who is lost at all, or in this suing ongoing process we live through and continue to, it's not this stagnant event. It is this process. Yeah. And the the timeline on healing, I actually have this quote from, I can't remember the name of the podcast, one of the podcast interviews that you did, but I'd love to read it because I thought it was really poignant. How do you even say that word? Poignant. <laughs> really, you know, nailed it on the head. And it it seems like at a certain point, our missing someone, the act of missing someone, the emotion of missing someone is no longer perceived as healthy, normal, or okay. It seems like at some mysterious point, society or even our friends, family, and coworkers, they look at us and say, you're still missing them? I think there might be something wrong with you, even if they don't say it out loud. And just that unrealistic expectation of a timeline or any, you know, predetermined process. Yeah, we have a predetermined timeline and process that we Uh, give to others, whether they ask it for it or not about our healing. And I think we can choose to actively engage in our healing. I'm not saying like, I'm not advocating for like, oh, don't, don't seek out healing modalities and in whatever way that is for you. But it is saying to other people, like, don't put a timeline on me. This is kind of a random story, but I remember watching a TV show about what's his name? The Manson guy who Marilyn Manson. Yeah. And (laughs) bringing it back, I promise. But I watched a TV show where the sister of Sharon Tate said she can't even hear her sister's name without 
going into a spiral. And I had this moment. I think it was at like the dentist's office. It was just on TV, but it was it was a moment for me where I was watching this woman and I thought to myself two things. One, she can be whoever she is and process however she needs to. And two, for me, I don't want to be 30 years removed from my mom's death and not be able to say her name. It was this thing where I could look at, you know, Sharon Tate's sister and be like, cool, like you're doing your thing. And it was also this spotlight for me to be like, it kind of guided some of my healing where I was like, oh, this is what I don't want for myself. It just goes back to there's no timeline. And I think we like to put it on each other and people, but it's actually up to ourselves to decide what the timeline is, if there's even a timeline and move forward with it. And like, even you saying that you are started therapy three weeks ago, like, I think that's beautiful. Therapy is one of the things that I personally in my own healing can attribute to getting to a place where I am able to process these things. I'm able to talk about my mom, mostly if I'm not telling the story of her dying without kind of becoming a crying mess. And I'm thankful for that. You mentioned healing. And so I'd love to know, one, if you think that to heal or to be healed, you know, what you think of that, if you think that's possible or what it it means, (laughs) and then what what your definition of healing is. Mm -hmm. When I talk about healing or to be healed, I don't think of it as in a, I don't think of it as having an end date, like slow uphill, sometimes uphill, often uphill battle with my mind and my mortality. Just really recognizing that what happened to my mom, it's not special. It has happened to thousands of people. You know, like my mind wants to make it into this thing where I'm like, no one knows what I'm going through. Everything is about me. It's the ego wanting to come out and say, like, I'm the different one here. No one knows about this. And so I think for in my healing, it's kind of recognizing like, this isn't special. Was my mom special? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Was her death special? No. And so I don't know if I have a good answer for you. Um, I don't have something that can kind of tie it all up in a bow, but I think my process of healing is a slow uphill battle and like a battle with my ego that wants to center me and especially center my mom and to kind of recognize that I'm nothing. And I don't mean it in a depressive way. It's more of like an existential way where like nothing matters. And I think some people, when I kind of get into this trudge towards the existentialism they're like whoa Morgan what are you doing but I've found a lot of freedom in that and I think just in talking about therapy I did go to a therapist but the extent to which this is such a tough topic and stigmatized was that I think as I'm learning now in therapy also due to many things that happened in in my childhood and and with my family in general, she suggested that maybe therapists didn't know where to start or how to navigate everything. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't going to bring it up. I wasn't even ready to talk about it. I needed to, but I couldn't. I didn't have the words. I didn't have the recognition of my own emotions. And so my therapist in the beginning, yes, the intention was to go there and talk about that. And I probably still cried and mentioned things, but that is not what we talked about. And, you know, got to the point where it would just be these casual, lighthearted conversations because I couldn't take it there and she wasn't going to force me to. And, you know, that that didn't get me anywhere. And so it eventually just became a superfluous 
process that, you know, I discontinued and then the search for somebody, and this is even as a professional in this space who can hold space in a kind, loving way, but also in a tough way that will force you to try and examine what is happening within you and around you in regards to this experience is extremely difficult. And I think is just kind of evidence of the extreme lack of resources, knowledge. And as you mentioned earlier, the kind of lack of emotional literacy in this space, be it with, with friends or therapy professionals. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I find, yeah, I still, you know, find myself confused about so many things and like rejecting the idea of how to talk about my mom in the past tense and referring to her in the present tense because these are, you know, characteristics. She is still one of the most important people to me. She is still one of the most inspiring people. You know, why are these things that that disappear when somebody is gone? And so even struggling with like basic language to to navigate this. Yes, I have experienced similar things where when I'm talking about my mom, I want to say like she. Okay, so if I want to say she was the most important person in my life. Yeah. Like she still is like that hasn't ended. She, her physical body has ended, but her impact on me isn't. So saying she is the most important person in my life feels more correct than was, but then it's very confusing for people when they're like, So how's your mom? (laughs) I've gotten as far as like my mom has been one of the most influential people in my life or something, something like that. But yeah, it's extremely confusing, not only for other people, but internally this constant battle of, you know, adjusting your language and your conversations, you know, once you even get to the point to which you can open them up to other people to talk about it. Yeah. How to, how to navigate that. You know, we're talking about these healing processes and, and living outside of these timelines. And again, I think for myself, I find so much inspiration in your work because, you know, I see so much of what I you know, not that there's a should in any way of how someone should live this out, but would like to, you know, would love to process things much deeper. And, you know, I fortunately did manage to save, you know, the text messages and the voicemails, but, you know, haven't listened to them, haven't brought myself to do that. But in reading through your work and the project and your posts, as I was sobbing hysterically, in silence at WeWork today <laughs> at the <laughs> open desks. Um, I really admired it so much. And so I would love to know what you have found to be some of the most important parts of your healing process and what has helped you. Yeah. So when it happened, when my mom died, I, I didn't... I wasn't like, all right, we're going to like heal this shit and get through it. Like I was like, my life is over. Dark depths. Yeah. And I, I was, I said it and I meant it. I was just like, my life is over. I can't move through this. And the version of your life as you knew it is. Yeah, it it totally was. And I think, but I extended it towards like, I will never smile or enjoy anything. How pissed would your mom be at you? You know, if you go through the rest of your life miserable, I'm never going to smile again. Then you also know she would be like, are you kidding me? I know. And I would be like, shut up, mom. I'm like, I don't think I would ever tell her to shut up. But anyways, I would like be like, let me have my process. So I remember when I got the call from my dad and 
She mm-hmm. died on a Tuesday and I had actually been home that weekend for her birthday. So it was kind of like couched in this, like we just had this amazing weekend at home. And then two days later, I'm going to head home for a very different reason. And I got home that night and there were people at the house and it was just sad, you know, and I haven't been in this situation, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but someone said, like, go see your dad. And I hadn't even registered that he wasn't in the living room of sobbing people. And so I went upstairs and I, I saw my dad and he had been drinking and he just kept saying like, what are we going to do? And I didn't know. And so, but that night it was just me and him. Like everyone eventually went home and my sisters weren't home yet. And so he passed out eventually. And so I wrote my mom a letter. It was the only thing I could really think of doing So in that letter, I just said, like, this is basically shocking. And, you know, in my, like, emotional 22-year-old self, I'm like, I'll keep going for you. And now I look at that letter and cringe a little bit because I'm like, wow. But, you know, and I was processing really big emotions. But after I wrote that letter, a transformative thing for me was I promised myself that I would be honest I didn't realize what impact that vow that I made to myself in my childhood bedroom the night of my mom's death would take or like what impact that would have. But it's really been a guiding light in all of my healing. So just starting with that in whatever I'm doing, especially in regards to this tragedy, I will be honest. So if people said... I was just radically honest. So if people said, how are you? I'd say not great. If they... For years. Yeah. I just for for so long, not once did I ever say, you know, good. And even that alone, even when you, you know, you get to the point where the answer is okay, people find it hard to sit with Yeah. Oh yeah. People have a hard time. Even just be okay. Totally. You know, let alone... (laughs) shitty like terrible literally the worst you know yeah and it's like they want to you everyone wants to hear the best but yeah I think that really set up my trajectory is that I would be honest so I think we had touched earlier on you not being able to say like my mom died or my mom is dead but saying like I lost my mom and I had kind of an opposite experience where I didn't want to find other language to describe my experience. I wanted neither is right or wrong. I just want to say that. But for me, I wanted to say exactly what happened. And so I would say like my mom died or especially in the earlier days, I would say my mom was killed because the context for her death is that she was killed by a commercial truck driver swerving into her lane and he had been on methamphetamine. So, you know, he chose to get behind the wheel and drive. He killed her. And I would say that, and it's jarring to people to hear just honesty. I'm not doing well. My mom was killed. Like Mm -hmm. for me, I didn't want to hear like, I'm sorry you lost your mom. It was like, nope, I didn't lose anything. I lost something, right? But I was like, say she died. Say the words. Like, I can't. For me, it was like, I can't. Like, I can't navigate trying to know what you're trying to say. Just tell me what you're saying, you know? So if someone was saying they're in a better place or whatever the things that we say, I would I would ask, like, what are you actually trying to tell me right now? Right. What is like the root of what you're saying? Because I don't think what you're saying is actually what you're trying to say. Because what you're 
Which is nice of you to give them the opportunity to and not just to Well, honestly, like, I didn't (laughs) do it. I've, I've, like, I don't want to put myself in, like, this positive light where I did everything right. Because there were also times where I'd be like, fuck off. Okay. Yeah, they're in a better place. Like, I was also an asshole and, like, kind of could be a brat at times. But yeah, I would say like that was this cornerstone for me that I'm just going to be honest. One of my turning points was I was in therapy and I had been talking. I mean, the first couple months of therapy, all I did was cry. But I remember telling my therapist, I think I just want to get away for a little bit. Maybe I'll go travel. The context of this is... I grew up in a town of 7,000 people. And so everyone knew. I mean, it was for my mom's memorial. It was beautiful. 800. There were like 800 people there. It was like a beautiful display of just people really coming around my family. And I don't want to sound not grateful for that because it was beautiful. And everyone knew my story. And I think, you know, there's talk, right? Someone might see me and maybe I had had too much to drink. And then, and I wasn't living in this town at the time, but I was visiting every weekend because I was trying to be supportive to my dad. And so then it gets around that like Morgan drinks a lot and curses all the time, right? There's just talk. And I could I could feel the talk and I could feel the eyes and I would try and go to the grocery store and just be like, God damn it. Like there are people here that know me and they're asking me how I am. So when I was in therapy, I was telling my therapist, like, I just wanted to pick up and leave. Like, I just wanted to get out, just go. And he looked at me, he was like, well, what do you have to lose? And I realized I had nothing to lose at that point. Things weren't going very well. Mm -hmm. And I know not everyone has the opportunity for travel, but I would say like that was a huge healing point for me because when I, I mean, my travels were a mess. I wasn't doing it well. Like I got sick in Thailand, very sick in Thailand. Like it wasn't like this the a travel story of like she left and and found herself and it was kind of a shit show i remember one night in scotland i i was with my twin at that point and we thought we had booked a hostel but we hadn't and it's cold and so we we're like cool i guess we're sleeping on a park bench it was just kind of the whole experience was kind of a shit show And what I learned in that experience of traveling and being away from people who know you is that you can be anyone you want. If someone said, you know, if you're in a hostel and someone's like, oh, what are you doing traveling? You don't have to say, oh, my mom died and everything at home is going pretty terribly. And I told my therapist that I just needed to leave. Like, you don't have to say that. You can be like, oh, yeah, I'm Morgan. And um, I don't know, just wanted to travel a little bit. To have that break from everyone knowing your story and to be able to reinvent your story was really freeing to just be Morgan, who is traveling, to not have this baseline understanding that I'm Morgan and my mom's dead and I'm not doing well. Like it totally changed the interactions. And it wasn't that I wasn't thinking about my mom or grieving my mom or anything. It's that I just was able to take a break from it being the first thing on everyone's minds, including mine. And in that process, I would write to my mom often and every new city or country I'd go to, I'd write her a letter. That kind of is what had a big impact on conversations I wish I had because I realized that was something that I was constantly writing to my mom. I wanted to work things out with her. I wanted to tell her what I was up to. And that was a huge thing to make me feel connected to her. Those are kind of like my, <laughs> the the way I got started on healing. But the, the thing it always came back to was be honest. 
in whatever form, be honest. And it, I think it worked well for me, but I would also say I alienated a lot of people in the process because if they couldn't be with my honesty, then they couldn't be with me. And I lost a lot of friends, but I don't regret not being honest. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for tuning in to listen to our show. If you like what you learned and you know someone who might also like listening, please do share this podcast. You can also feel free to reach out to us anytime. If you'd like to submit questions, requests for experts to have on the show, or if you'd like to share your positive feedback or constructive criticism, we'd love to hear what you think. It's the only way we can learn and grow along with you. Be sure to check out our website, follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world, and subscribe to the book club newsletter, where we send out even more resources to help you dive even deeper to the topics that we bring to you on the show. Once again, we encourage you to take what we discuss on this show and apply it in your everyday life. Because remember, a better relationships equals better life.